Welcome to On Water, the Session Magazine podcast. Here we talk to water athletes, entrepreneurs, scientists, and earth-friendly folks about the experience of a life well-lived connected to water. I'm your host, Evelyn O'Darity. Let's dive in. another episode of On Water, a session magazine podcast for water lovers. Today, we are fortunate enough to be in the studio with transatlantic paddler, transpacific wing foiler, big wave surfer, and all-around madman, Chris Burdish. Chris, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with us today. Uh, pleasure, Evelyn. Always a pleasure and a privilege. Um, seeing that we've got through all our technical difficulties trying to figure out the podcasting setups this morning, it's always it's always interesting and it's always an adventure. So. It's always an adventure, yeah. but aren't you the one who always says yes. either you win or you learn? Mm-hmm. So, so we're learning a lot this morning. We learned a lot, and I, I think that was pretty pretty special. So, I'm uh, I'm game to move forward. You're you're worth at this now. I can see this is setting up for the next level of podcast in the future. Yes. <laughs> So uh, what's been amazing is that Chris has been here in Montauk for the last three days. Um, He is on a North American inspirational talk and book tour for his recently uh, released book, All In, about the transatlantic paddle, which he took in 2016 and 2017. And so we've had the privilege of having Chris speak at different events, and we've had a lot of time just to chat between the two of us. So I feel like we've uh, like approached another level of just getting to know one another. And uh, it's been just a huge gift, not just for me, but for the entire community of Montauk. And I just want to say thank you again for making the journey. So exciting to have you here. Chris, you've been working across the states with this book tour which we both agree is not the right term for this because it's so much more than that you've been giving talks uh offering wisdom answering questions and pretty much reliving the transatlantic paddle again and again how does that impact you how does that make you feel to sort of go over this enormous journey that you've taken in the past and just to be talking about it on tour? Um, thanks, Ev. I think that's a great question. It's quite a loaded question because obviously, um, you know, it's been whatever, six years since the journey, but it's also been three to four years making the film and it's taken five years to be able to make the book since then. So I think a lot of people just don't really know, understand, or comprehend the amount that goes into these journeys. It's not just the journey to the start line, which takes like three or four years, and then the journey itself. It's the journey to recovery from a physical, mental, and emotional state, and then the unpacking of that, and then the assets that come from that, if you can get the funding and you can put in the right time and energy to be able to make it work. And these things don't make money. They actually just they're more like a, a gift to the world. And I, I, I really hope that they come across in that way because the amount of time and energy that goes into it, um, I don't think is really translatable. But as long as the journey impacts on a lot of people and the book and the film and the Q&A sessions that, that I do and the talks that I give really help people, inspire people, gift people some sort of Alexa or or is the catalyst for change in a positive way in their life, then I'm still very much living my life on point and on purpose. And that's sort of everything that that I sort of live for and stand for, which I'm sure you've sort of picked up on that over the last um, couple of days that we've been together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, since you've been here um, in off-season Montauk, you've brought the community together twice, right, for two different events. And uh, 
each of them had their own impact. And, and as I've been showing you the text messages that are coming in, people are thanking me for this, you know, this gift of bringing you to the community. So I just want to back up a little bit for people who don't know you as well as I do to give a little bit of history about what this book tour is about. So can you just, you know, in three minutes or less, <laughs> you know, well, well, not even, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like just, just what was the transatlantic sub crossing? When did you create this concept Right. And I know this is all in the film that we saw last night, um, Last Known Coordinates. But just, you know, what drove you to make this passage across the Atlantic, paddling a craft of your own design, a stand up paddle craft that took you from the coast of Morocco to the shores of Antigua over 4,050 nautical miles? Where did the inception of that concept take place? Um, well, I mean, I guess I come from a you know, very long line and history and heritage of, of ocean water sports through my dad and learning from an early age. And then I got into sailing side of things. Then I got into the windsurfing side of things, which took me down a whole other road. And then I went into the big wave surfing side. Then I sort of, I guess I'm very focused and goal orientated so I sort of ended up ticking off all the boxes for myself in a in a regional perspective then in a national perspective and then I wanted to become one of the best big wave riders and I set goals for myself to be able to do a whole lot of things whether it was you know becoming the first person to paddle into Jaws or do the trifecta of uh, Toto Santos I mean why Mad Mavericks Toto Santos on the same swell and then get into the Mavericks event or the Idiaka event which mm -hmm. I ended up getting in both and then finally ended up, you know, very fortunate enough to be able to win the Mavericks event in uh, like really crazy, r massive conditions, which ended up becoming a book and a film. And then mm -hmm. I sort of had checked off the in my boxes of everything that I'd set out to achieve as a big wave surfer. And I really also asked myself the question, if I've done everything that I needed to achieve the pinnacle in big wave surfing, then if I keep on pursuing that, what would I be achieving? What what would I what what why would I be doing it? And I think it it came down to ego, realizing that it was quite a ego thing um, to surf the biggest waves of the world and keep on surfing bigger waves. And I just I sort of thought and realized in that space with the story that I had, which was a very powerful story on the on the Mavericks event, that I could use that story to be able to inspire and help others. So we ended up. I kept on getting told by lots of people like a lot of people that the story was super inspiring and it needed to be a book or a film or whatever. So I ended up actually facing one, two of my own biggest fears, which was to make a film and to write a book, which I had zero experience. And then my third greatest fear was to, to speak in front of audiences. And I realized that by doing what I was going to do by writing a book and making a film, I was going to get asked to speak. And that terrified me, but I knew that I needed to face my own fears by doing that, like I was tackling everything in the ocean mm -hmm. um, and having extraordinary results, I needed to take that over to my life on land. So mm. I decided to just go full all in into making that happen, even though I had zero experience in anything. And then started to find another sport that could, that I could use those gifts and those skills to be able to hopefully have some sort of positive impact in some small way. And that was stand-up paddleboarding, and that's how I got into that. And then I started applying all the knowledge and experience that I learned from my sailing experience, from my ocean knowledge, my big wave surfing experience, and applying that across to stand-up paddleboarding. And obviously, I, I picked it up pretty quickly and easily, um, just with my ocean background and knowledge, even though I was really bad at stand-up paddleboarding in the beginning, like you are at everything. But um, what it reminded me is that I hate being terrible at anything so I just become obsessively focused on it until I become better right. um, and then just focus like I do on all the stuff that I try and become better at um, and become one of the best it, it just focus on it and put the time and energy into making it happen until I started doing the longer distance um, journeys and then I started to do the 12 hour record 12 Guinness World Record 24 right. hour record and then and then did the 350 mile up the wild right. west coast of Africa and I started with the 12-hour Guinness World Record, I started attaching these charities to 
give back and lift other people up through Ocean Education, through the Two Oceans um, Aquarium Foundation for mm -hmm. Education, then through the Lunchbox Fund to feed hungry kids in Africa that don't have enough money to go to school, and then Operation Smile, which was a more human humanitarian to be able to pay for the cleft palate operations. And sort of that's really where the penny struck for me, and I realized mm. that I could use my tools and my gifts to be able to achieve these records. And for me, the records weren't really the big thing. It was like, how can I use like, the media attention from the records mm. to be able to actually raise money and awareness to be able to gift back and help others. And that really, I guess, became like quite a pivotal, transcendent realization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then once I started doing that and having that impact and raising money and helping a lot of pe people, then it sort of became a very simple, very clear goal and purpose that mm -hmm. if I continue to do these adventures, whatever they might be, when I'm doing things that are considered to be extraordinary and mm -hmm. that no one else has ever done before, they're raising lots of awareness. I mean, they're raising lots of media attention. So how do I use that as a gift and a tool to be able to give back and, and, and help us? And that's where the, once I did the 350 um, mile whatever journey, we raised a whole lot of money and I thought to myself, wow, okay, if I could raise this amount of money, help these amount of kids during this journey, then what happens if I could build a craft that I could get out of the sun, get out of the elements, which were the most gnarly, mm -hmm. most difficult and challenging um, part of it to be able to then do something that no one really thought was possible, which was to paddle across the Atlantic. Because I thought if I could build a craft that had a pod so I could get out of the sun and I could build a little side walls on it so I wouldn't get that wet all the time, even though I got that completely wrong, um, and have a water desalination unit and take enough food and freeze-dried food to be able to get across, and I could become completely self-sufficient. And I could get out of the elements when I needed to in the peak times of the day and paddle during the night and just apply everything that I'd learned. And then I could not only just change the lives of hundreds, I could change the lives of, like, hopefully hundreds of thousands. And that became like an immensely focused driving force for me. Mm. And that was while I was still working full-time and trying to become a, uh, a speaker and mm -hmm. running my agency business. And then I was trying to train before work and after work and try and raise money mm -hmm. for putting together the project, which was, again, as difficult as the project itself mm -hmm. is trying to build a craft that doesn't exist using all the knowledge and the experience that you have in another country mm -hmm. while working full-time and raising money. Because right. a lot of people always think that, you know, you get all these amazing sponsors that just come and just land on your plate, but that's not how it works. So, yeah, right. it was yeah, it's super challenging just getting to the start line. Um, and if you to go back to the question, it was meant to be about a three thousand five hundred mile journey um, from um, Agadir in Morocco because I'm from Africa. I wanted to start from Africa and finish mm -hmm. in the Caribbean to Antigua, which I've actually have done a lot of sailing in that area of the Caribbean when I used mm -hmm. to sail professionally so I know the area very well and I've surfed in Agadir and Morocco in that area mm -hmm. as well so all the lo locations along the way I actually knew very well and I spent time the, in the Canaries as well so I knew all those areas quite right. well and I'd done multiple transatlantic sailing so right. I think a lot of people don't realize the background and knowledge right. and experience in all those different locations across multiple different sports that right. then allow you to be able to have the experience to be able to tackle something like this, I guess. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I, I think I've said in every event this weekend that when I first heard your name about this journey that you were going to take to paddle across the Atlantic, I thought, that's impossible. You know, that's ridiculous, actually. It's not just impossible. And then I did my homework and I did some research on who you are, where you've been, what your background is. And I came to the realization that if there was one person who was going to be actually capable of getting from shore to shore, it it would be you. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, yeah, and no, so it makes, I mean, your backstory is as fascinating as the journeys, you know, because as, you know, you've said before, um, you know, all of that brings us to all, all of that history and information and education and knowledge, water knowledge, brings you to where you are today. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think a lot of people forget that sometimes in life you never realize that everything in life is actually just getting you ready to do exactly what you're just about to do next. And sometimes it's hard to look, connect the dots looking backwards. But when you, when you get to that point, you're like, oh, okay. That key thing that I did sailing 
10 years ago was right. pivotal to be able to get me to allow me to be able to do this that part of the big wave surfing side being comfortable in a really uncomfortable place in giant mm-hmm. waves in the middle of a storm this tiny little craft allowed me to be able to transcend that and mentally keep myself together in that space which would have been difficult for any normal human being and then all the adventure stuff that i'd done across all the different world records and you know whether it be the code red journey through mm-hmm. the source of sea of the mm-hmm. the the Thames River, the the English Channel crossing, the micro adventures that I'd done up the coast all the time by myself, like everything, every single one of those were pivotal to be stepping stones to learn to be able to apply new knowledge and experience and tools to be able to then allow me to be able to do what I, I did. And then all the sailing experience and navigation stuff that I did and the multiple transatlantic crossings allowed me to be able to have the experience and knowledge of knowing what, what I was going to experience and then how to manage and navigate my way through it. And I think, yeah, that's there's so much of that in the backstory. I think that makes you can almost make a film just on the backstory yes. behind it. You know? Yes. And I think, and I think you, we talk about you know I thought it was going to take three thousand five hundred miles, but you know with all the the autopilots that failed and what have right. you, and I ended up having to refigure and configure the steering system and multiple different steering systems. So I wasn't so I wasn't foot steering size. So weaving around and ended up doing mm-hmm. probably another sort of six to 800 miles mm-hmm. just because I didn't have something that was keeping me on track, which I had to figure out along the way in order to survive. But I think when survival is a key incentive for success, then you become quite innovative and creative and adaptive. Indeed. That's when that learning comes in handy. Um, so a question I had too was just uh, after seeing the film Last Known Coordinates last night, which I've, I've viewed before, but it was really fun to watch with other people and and with you right next to me for a bit um can you talk a little bit about your father and just his influence on your life and and these projects that you take on yeah so I think uh, that's sort of twofold like my dad was an amazing guy um and he ended up passing away when I was like 20 or 21 I think um, but I really don't look at that as a negative. I look at that as a great gift. I try and mm. see the silver lining in everything. And, mm. you know, I think by the time you get to 20 years old, I think a lot of the grounding and foundation of who you are as an individual and all the ethics and the values are mostly instilled in you by that sort mm. of age. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really important time frame. Um, and if, you know, a parent was going to pass away, I think that's probably a good time. If there's, if there's ever a good time, mm-hmm. that's probably a great time. If you if they've done their job as being a great mm-hmm. parent and role model, I think most of the things that instill you to become the human that you are are mostly shaped by that age. And I think I was very fortunate to have a dad that was super inspiring for me, and I looked up to him um, in a lot of ways. Um, I think in the last sort of three, two to three years, I probably... I was not a pleasant individual little teenager growing up. I was going through that like 17 to 20 year old mm-hmm. age where I was rebelling against mm-hmm. everything and we probably didn't have the best relationship but it doesn't doesn't taint the fact of like who he was and how he um tried to raise us and um I I look at I look back at that as an amazing gift. And yeah, just an amazing human being. And I think mm-hmm. for 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 some time, I sort of wanted to prove to myself and to prove to him probably for the next sort of 10 years afterwards that I'd done some incredible things that I'm sure would have made him proud. But I I think I by the time I got into my late, into my early 30s, I think I'd sort of transcended that. Mm-hmm. And then I just thought to myself, like, how could I use what I'd learned? to be Mm. able to give back and help others. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't really a thing that I think I gained from him. I think that's just a personal thing. And I know that in the, in the film, they try to make it come across like that, like that's a really important thing, but that was specifically created in the arc because people, people are very in touch with knowing that they have a father and that it'll, it'll come across in the right way. But if you read the book, the book tells the story exactly the way right. it is. Right. And sometimes, you know, um, producers and directors like to put their slant on it mm-hmm. with what's going to mm-hmm. have the most impact from an emotional perspective with your audience. So they, right. they, they tilt things slightly okay. in certain ways. And um, that was one area that I wasn't 100% happy with with the film. But 
you know, there's a famous saying in film that says, sometimes you just have to kill your darlings, which is a story <laughs> about like, you've got to learn to let go of some right. things. It's not going to be exactly the way you want it. And you have to work out like what pi- what fights you pick in order to be able to make the ones that are really important to you stick and the ones mm-hmm. let go of certain things that might not be 100% correct. And when you are in a team of four or five people, yeah. it's very difficult. And sometimes, as you know, you might get outvoted for things that it can be quite challenging. And um, I've, I definitely had that. Um, when you are in a team making a film, which I don't have that much experience, even though I co-directed my last film as well, um, it's still, you're working with a team and you have to learn to be accommodating in certain circumstances too, because it is about a team effort. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can imagine. I mean, it's a huge undertaking to uh, write a book and produce a film. So, I mean, so just for our listeners, uh, Chris wrote a book about the championship the um, Mavericks big wave invitational championship of 2010 the year that he won and that was the year that the surf was so big that it was washing uh, people off the cliff spectators off the cliff it washed through the announcers booth at bumpers you know the media booth and um, you know and Chris had a like a a super challenging time getting there and then also in those earlier heats, but he came back and was able to win this event in 2010. So the book that he wrote uh, called Stoked with an exclamation point. Yes, which has now been taken <laughs> off the shelf and we're going to be relaunching it because I had to buy my rights back for that book. So it wasn't really available in the States. So we're actually going to be relaunching it under a different title at the end of next year called The Maverick. Which oh, well, that's that's cool. appropriate. Yeah. yeah, so I had to buy back all the stock all around the world, which is now getting gifted to some disadvantaged kids all over the planet. That's interesting. Really cool. Yeah. And then, and then you made the film, right, yes. Ocean Driven, about yeah. that same story. Yes, and the funny thing about that is when I, did, when, I was, when I was writing the book and making the film, I was still working full-time, running my agency. And I... I came about as close to having a full-blown meltdown mm. and breakdown mm-hmm. that I think any human can get to before they actually completely lose it because I was just trying to spread myself too thin and right. do too much. And right. it was a great lesson for me that I should never put myself in that space again. Mm. And I promised myself, I said, I will never, ever write another book in my entire <laughs> life again because it was so torturous mm-hmm. and it took me so long because I don't really consider myself to be a writer um, like how we envision writers to be when you're growing up. You know, Mm -hmm. some people find it really easy and they can just write it. They don't need an editor. And I'm not that guy. I was the guy that got told that, you know, he never would get get more than a D at anything that he did at school um, from my teacher. And also, you know, I also got turned down by every single publisher. But I think that the transcendent story through that is that if you persevere and you believe in whatever you're going to do and you take daily steps and actions consistently over time and you never give up, then... You'll be amazed at what you can achieve. And that book was a great example because it ended up doing really well and getting reprinted like five times and changed into different languages. But it never really got launched in America properly and never got made okay. into an audiobook. So that's why I'm relaunching it under, I'm going to add to it. I'm going to tweak it slightly and add lots of valuable insights and what happened afterwards, awesome. which is even more um, powerful to add to the story. Yeah. And then we'll relaunch it at the end of next year and I'll make it into a into an audio book like I'm going to be doing for all in over the next couple of months as well. Awesome. Well, that's that's exciting news that yeah, I is. had no idea about. That's amazing. Um, so just what was the process like between writing Stoked and creating the film Ocean Driven and writing All In, also with an exclamation point, mm. and creating the film Last Known Coordinates? What did you learn from the first go around that you applied to the second how do you feel the two films compare with each other just any comments on that yeah i think that you know stoked was a really a really pivotal moment for me i think even when you watch the film last known coordinates i think you you see that they talk about in the film they talk about that winning mavericks was probably a bigger moment for me than most people imagined mm. Because I realized in that moment that everything that I that I trained myself to believe within myself, that you can do anything. I always just say nothing's impossible if you set your mind on it. And I was living that principle. And right. that story was a perfect example mm-hmm. of that. And the fact that also that the film came out 
whatever, a couple of years later and ended up winning like five international awards. Mm-hmm. And I'd actually written the script for that film ten, like 10 years before that, before I even got invited to the event and surfed in it and won it. And I think that's just a like a perfect example of the visualization that you mm. have and following through on the things that you visualize and and work towards and manifest on a regular basis. And if you really are so committed to it and you really believe in it with every fiber in your being and you do everything in your power to be able to make it happen and you don't give up, like what literally is possible. And it was just um, amazing. And I think when the, when the book came out, I had so many challenges and struggles to get the book done. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned to you in the talks and stuff that I do, you know, I got turned down by every single publisher. Then mm-hmm. I got told by the only publisher that would publish my book that I needed to work with a ghostwriter to write it. So I worked with a ghostwriter for almost a year to the day. And then they turned around behind my back and told the publisher there was no point in continuing working with me because there was no story to be told. That's insane. And, and I was obviously I was really pissed off because I'd spent a lot of my time outside of my business. Right. Um, I was putting together that book and then I I said no I actually I really believe that there's a good book in there and I spent the next year rewriting that like every waking hour rewriting that script and got another really good editor I did the design of the cover mm-hmm. worked with a designer to get everything right and then on the day before we were about to go to launch it mm-hmm. I phoned up the publisher and I said hi remember me I'm that guy with no story I'm going to, to print and um they laughed at me, and I remember we we went to print the following day, and a week later we put it into book, like it got launched into bookstores, and it was the fastest book to hit number one in South Africa, and it just was an amazing success. And I think what I found incredible about that was that I never realized that it was going to have that kind of impact. I mm-hmm. thought I just wanted to do it for myself because I believed in it, and right. I, I really wanted to sort of prove everyone wrong that right. I could, and that right. I knew that there was something good there, and, and it. I think what really changed everything for me was the amount of really positive feedback that I got from that book of mm-hmm. like how it impact. Not it's not about positive feedback in regard to oh you're so good at what you did oh I'm so you, you're amazing. Understood. No, the, the 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 feedback that I'm talking about was how it positively impacted on people's lives, right? And how it helped them, right? And how many messages I got from people that were going through divorce or someone that was going through a massive like health injury or someone that was going through cancer or mm-hmm. some like all these crazy messages that mm-hmm. I got from people of hard dramatically touched their life or brought people back together that hadn't spoken for like 10 years mm-hmm. or you know the father or getting his son to read it on his deathbed when he was going through cancer that he hadn't wow. spoken to them in in five years like all these crazy messages of like a mom that was like really overweight that like read my book and she wanted to do her first 10k and that's the first like and inspired her to do that and she sent like just so many remarkably powerful messages that made me realize that my journey Mm -hmm. and what I did and how Mm -hmm. I lived my life was impacting positively on people and in that moment and in that space over the next two years it just made me realize that what I do helps people Mm -hmm. and therefore if I have the gift to be able to do that, I need to continue doing that because that's why I'm here. Right. And whether, even though I said I'd never, you know, do another book and another film ever, I realized that it wasn't about me mm-hmm. and it wasn't a choice. Mm-hmm. It was the path that I had chosen and there will always be areas in the path that you've chosen that you don't like that are challenging. Right. But if your, if your journey you take positively helps people and, and changes people's lives... Once you've gone down that road, it's your job and your responsibility Mm -hmm. and your duty Mm -hmm. to fulfill it. And Mm -hmm. that's what I felt. And I was like, okay, this is my journey. This is my path. And as long as the feedback that I'm getting from the stuff that I do is positive in a way that it positively impacts and changes people's lives for the better, then you're going to continue on this path, whether you like it or not, because it's your purpose. And that's when life has become quite simple after that it doesn't mean it's become easy it's probably the hardest road mm-hmm. it's not the easy road i had the definition of what most people consider to be successful you know in south africa when i was running different companies and businesses and what have you i had the car and the boat and the, and the house and everything that is the epitome of success and right. i literally walked away from all of that and i literally almost lost everything by choosing the path that i took 10 years ago to follow this mm-hmm. but for me i'm way happier in that space and yes it's 
often challenging to be able to make ends meet or to, you know, to, because I put everything into everything that I do, like literally everything. I'm all in in everything that I do. So it's right. like, but I believe what I, what I do is, is impactful. And generally the feedback that I get is really positive. So as long as that continues, all the projects that I do will continue in that space. And do you like the Transpac Wing project did, like the Transatlantic project? You know, we've changed the lives of literally hundreds of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. And I'll continue to do so in all the projects that I do. And just using it as sort of like a snowball effect to be able to ratchet up for impact across education, conservation, sustainability, and, and from a humanitarian level. And hopefully just being a positive role model for, you know, myself, others, and the world around us. I'm really not even sure what to say after that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really good at being very succinct with my answers. It's, no, so that answers. was that was spectacular. Um, thank you. There was a lot there that I, I didn't know before. You know, so one of the aspects of your journey that is um, is really interesting to me is just what you were saying before about how it's you do these incredible endurance feats. You know, that are centered around the ocean. You layer into it these incredible charitable causes so that you're able to reach, uh, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people. And then at the same time, you're doing all of this. And as you mentioned, you don't have any sponsors. You don't have any um, whatever, you know, whatever that is, you know, that sort of support from the surf industry, um, you know, and, and even so, even so you don't want to write a book, even though making a film is just a royal journey unto itself, you just keep pushing into it uh, because you feel so strongly about what you do. And, it, you know, if you had a, if you had a, a genie in a bottle, <laughs> you know, what would be the support that you would ask for to continue down your path, you know, with the next, the next, project the projects coming in the future years like what would benefit chris burdish the most i guess like like anything it's all about funding so you know i guess trying to get funding to be able to continue doing what i do but just amplify it for more impact so everything that i do all these projects they cost a lot of money to be able to put together of course they do and then you when you i guess it's to be able to amplify the impact it's about collaborating for success but right. also to be able to build an amazing team right and you know, everything costs money. Teams cost money. People cost money to yeah. be able to employ, to be able to help make things bigger, more streamlined, more impact, more engagement, be able to tap into um, just amplifying impact on a on a massive scale. So I guess getting some sort of funding and support to be able to do these projects so they have bigger, I can employ a bigger team, have mm -hmm. more impact, um, engage with, with more um devices and tools to be able to increase how they can reach and impact more people. Um, that's sort of, I guess, what's needed in all, uh, I think, a lot of businesses and a lot of nonprofits that are doing right. good things for, for people and for planet. And I like everything is just sort of a, everything's always a stepping stone. So even the next project that I'm working is a, is a test run and stepping stone for the bigger project that I've got for 2027. Right. Um, and that's sort of trying to also include a whole lot of schools and be able to test out um, Starlink systems to be able to do live ocean-themed classroom sessions and Q&As with kids all over the world. Um, but I know that I need to do the, the sort of smaller project um, in order to test that to be able to get all the, the, like a small amount of the schools involved to then be able to use that as a blueprint for scaling up. Right. So sort of like... Right this roadshow that mm. I've just been doing now, it's incredibly inefficient the way I've done it, but it's the first time. Right. And you've got to learn from these experiences, like I'm creating a blueprint for doing the roadshow around the whole of America, mm -hmm. um, so that when I do it next year again, I've got a, a very clear understanding of how to do it and how I can do it more efficiently, effectively have more impact and build more time and leverage off the mm -hmm. the partners the people the community and stuff that i've got to be able to help more and build more time and space to be able to have more impact it's exactly the same thing on the projects i do the same thing and then do versions of that so yeah it's just um 
you know, live and learn and grow and and hopefully Keep become going. better, a better yeah. version of yourself all the time by asking the right questions of like, how can I learn from this? How can I do this better? And I try and do that every day. It doesn't mean I get it right all the time like all of us, but I mm-hmm. never stop trying. So for people who may not realize, like when Chris did this transatlantic sub-crossing, he built a craft uh, of his own making that included systems that had never been used before, right? Different communication systems. Um, the boat design itself was something that I feel like I feel like I remember hearing that um, you were turned down on some, you know, some people, you know, refused to help. And then you found the people who were able to help, you know, so these these it's the journeys are one thing, but like your um, your equipment. Mm. Right. And your communication and your the way that you impact people through, you know, the ocean in motion yeah. uh, educational um you know, uh, classroom settings, yep, are, you you know, are also things that have never, ever, 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 ever been done before, you know, and can you just talk a little bit about, like, just even the impifish and what it included and how you refurbish that to do the Trans-Pacific crossing for wing foiling and, because it's really fascinating stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just, it's just taking the knowledge and the experience you've, you've, Guarded from other projects, and then how to apply it. And the, the MP fish was I took basically everything I'd learned through my sailing experience, and then my the SIC bullet, which was the seventeen point four, and that was um, done to be able to. I got the knowledge from that to be able to build it like an outline, which used some of the tools and some of the elements of that and then I took some of the elements from the trans transatlantic rowboats mm-hmm. of areas and and systems that they had in place and then we got one of the molds from one of those and we changed the mold completely and then used elements of that to be able to build something that has never been built before to do something that most people thought was just completely impossible in, insane and impossible yeah and then just building all the systems in place and then Using like researching all the different systems and electronics and um, satcom systems, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people don't realize like how much goes into that side of it, mm-hmm. and then also build in redundancies into everything so that like worst case scenario you've always got like a plan B, C, and D, um, and and I think that amount of attention to detail and to backup and to safety most people will never comprehend. And no matter how much I'll try and put that across in the stuff that I do, people just don't understand like the amount of incredible amount of planning that goes into the risk management mm-hmm. and to minimizing the risk so I can proceed with confidence knowing that I only have like a rough sort of 10 to 15% chance of not surviving or succeeding. Right. Um, because I've got so many... Um, safety measures in place in order to be able to ensure a positive outcome or result because it's not about me it's about setting up for success so you're going to have impact for all these charities and everything around you and if you don't succeed and die then you've made i've personally made personal obligations and promises Mm. to to you know charities that i want to fulfill and i put my life on the line because i believe in myself that i can follow through on that and i can and i can deliver on all the expectations and more. And that's why one of the books that I'm working on is called the 12, um, 12 degrees. And the last of the 12 degrees is about going the extra mile. So it's called the extra mile. Mm. And that's all about like delivering on what you say, do what you say, say what you do. And then when you do that, go the extra mile, Mm. because when you go the extra mile, you are remembered and you make an impact because most people in this day and age, they don't even do what they say and they don't even deliver right. on what they say right. they're going to do. So right. if you do that and you deliver over and above that, you're always remembered and mm. you always separate yourself from the rest. And I try and try and exemplify that and do that in everything that I do. And 99% of the time, I, I really put myself on the line to make sure that that happens. So you also have a great track record. You also stand out as a role model for mm-hmm. others and the world around you. And for me, when when any athlete or any person that gets to a point of 
any sort of impact or any sort of influence, I believe that it's your duty and responsibility to be a role model to others and especially the youth. And you've got to be mindful of that and how you show up in the world mm. all, mm-hmm. all the time, not just in your business no. but and when you're on the court or in the field, but on a full-time basis. Of course. Yeah. So what are your plans for the Impafish, that craft that's hmm. been both across the Atlantic and the Pacific? Yeah, I almost couldn't even consider the Impafish to be the same craft as, as the one that I stand up paddleboarded across because we mm-hmm. literally changed everything. And when people say they change everything, that's sort of quite a loose term. Mm-hmm. No, no, we, we literally changed <laughs> absolutely everything on the entire craft, okay. stripped the whole thing down. We changed the entire deck. We lifted the entire deck off, changed the whole structure of the actual craft. Mm-hmm. Um, we added on special foils that got manufactured in the same place, um, same um, manufacturing framework as the America's Cup um, oh, foils for the AC-72, so mm-hmm. the same factory, and yeah. they were specifically designed and built for the MP Fish for that journey. Wow. Um, and there are only two foils that exist on the planet that right. were, you know, I think they cost like $25,000, which got sponsored by Armstrong Foils, Amazing. who are one of my partners that obviously they also um, sponsored all the, the wings and they contribute toward the project. Um, they built me very specific bespoke wings specifically for that journey, which we, which we worked on together. So right. everything is about collaborating with like-minded people to do things that have never been done before. And I guess the Trans-Pacific was also a journey. We didn't get it right the first time. We did a test run. There were a whole lot of things that mm-hmm. didn't work as well as I was hoping. The foils worked amazing. They allowed me to be able to make it more stable, go across, um, go across the wind a lot more, added some lift, so reduced the drag, which increased speed. So they did everything that we were hoping they would do. Um, and then also the bespoke uh, wings that we built for it also were really, really effective and efficient. And then a lot of the, some of the electronics we wanted to change out that didn't work as well. I got stuck in like really intense fog for the first five days on that first test run. Um, and a lot, a lot of my solar obviously then failed because we needed um, we need wind. Right. And the hydrocharger, um, we had some problems with. So I re, re, we came out of the water. I did like, four, I think, 350 or 400 miles down to Morrow Bay from Half Moon Bay. Mm-hmm. And then I came out there because I, I think that was one of the hardest decisions to make is to instead of going right across the Pacific um, after going down that coast to be able to actually come in in Morrow Bay and decide not yeah. to move forward with that. Um, and that's a very difficult decision for a lot of expeditions and a lot of mm-hmm. explorers to make because they feel pressured by by their sponsors, by the weather window, by ego. Right, the expectation. I, the expectation. And mm-hmm. I'm, I've become very aware of that and, and all the research that I do into other explorers that have come unraveled or died um, right down to mm-hmm. looking at Scott and Amundsen and, and Shackleton, all those yeah. kind of great explorers of our time and generally – you know, the people that have died often have been because they've cut corners, they've um, cut corners on cost or, or mm-hmm. timing mm-hmm. or under pressure by sponsors and, and some of it's also by ego. So, I, like, I've, I've always been, I always do my research very thoroughly into people that, that haven't um, been successful or died trying and made sure that I'm very mindful of what the reasons why they don't succeed and make sure that I don't copy that, be a repeat in, in history of, of something that happened to me. And I think I've learned very mindfully to take ego out of the equation and make sure that, like, I know why I'm doing it and the why behind what I do is transcends every decision-making right. process. So if, I, if I'm if i not able to have the impact that I'm setting out to do on the journey, like, as an example, my electronics um on my SATCOM system failed and I wasn't able to be then be able to communicate and do the ocean theme caution sessions, right. doing the getting the, the reach that I needed to on the journey, then then it was just about ego if I continued because it wasn't mm. the right decision. So mm-hmm. as soon as you can remove ego and, and emotion out of your decision making processes, then things become a lot more clear. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people aren't really able to do that. And I ended up pulling in I realized that when I did that, I might miss the end of the weather window when we had to get the craft redone and re all the electronics done. So we ended up doing that, and I did miss the weather windows. But in hindsight, like everything, when you look back, you, you know you made the right decision because then we postponed until the following, the beginning of the following weather mm-hmm. window, which means that we had more time mm-hmm. to do that, even though it put me under more pressure 
um, financially it was the right decision and it ended up having we reconfigured the entire electronics on the entire craft and we built in a backup of a backup of two totally different um, battery bank systems so that one failed we had a redundancy onto that and then the solar that we got from um, um, Switzerland which is the most advanced mm. solar um, which was really really powerful and that um, ended up becoming a game changer and then we added in a, a fuel cell as well so there's always like multiple backups that really aren't just put in there for for talk they actually get utilized in every possible way and they ensure your survival and the success of the project which um, which impacts on the lives of a lot of people so what are you going to do with the uh, epifith epifish mm. now uh, sorry <laughs> just okay. the question. um yeah so we are actually taking it across hopefully either we're going to take it across the country um next year and auction it off with the next roadshow or we're going to um, auction it off in in the US or uh, I mean in San Francisco next year okay or we're going to there's one guy that also wanted to do a journey um, around the world and he contacted me about it but I get wow. these I get these um, these calls and queries all the time right. very few of them ever um, go, come into fruition but I said that he can either rent it from me and I'll, I'll help guide him through the process of it um, so either which way we we're going to try and auction it off so I can use the money from that that goes into the next project and also mm-hmm. pay back some of the debts from my last project, which I still owe because, you know, these kind of things um, always have a lot more into them than most people imagine. So I've, I mean, just I, I feel like the impifish should belong in a museum. Is there any chance of something like that happening? A lot of people say that to me and mm-hmm. whether it be the Swissonian or um, that kind of thing. But, yes, it all goes down to money. So, yeah. like, there's a lot of money that I that I've put in personally into that craft. So, you know, as long as I can get back a hundred grand, which that craft now probably, the amount that goes into that craft is probably around 180 grand. Mm -hmm. Um, So as long as I can get a hundred back out, I'd be happy to auction it off and it can become a a very unique um, exhibit somewhere in the world, which I think would be amazing for kids or, you know, if any really wealthy owner of um, multiple different crafts would like to be able to change it into putting a little electric engine on the back for their kids and on lakes and stuff. It actually has multiple different options that could be changed into a single person rowboat um, with foils. It can mm. be still mm-hmm. used to stand up paddleboard across a whole lot of different um, areas and oceans, but it can also be used as a little fishing little f- fishing vessel with a little pot in the front for a single person as well. There are a lot of different options for it, but yes, it's a very unique um, very unique ocean-growing craft that there's only one of, and I think would make for a very unique um, um, showcase for multiple different people that could possibly leave a legacy and, and inspire a lot of other people in the world, especially the kids. Mm. Well, I hope that, you know, that really comes to fruition because it's, it's, in my view, it's a little bit like a spacecraft, right? It's a craft that was built to do something that's never been done before, and, you know, to go places where people said that we couldn't go. Mm. So in its own way, it is, it's truly, it's a, it's a one-of-a-kind watercraft, you know, that deserves a very special place somewhere. Yes, right? and I always find it funny because some people go, oh, it's not a, you didn't really stand a paddle across the Atlantic because it's not just a normal paddleboard. You're like, yeah, it's not a normal paddleboard like you'd go... <laughs> And get one from Costco and then try and paddle across the Atlantic. It's like you don't take a Cessna to go and try and fly to the moon. You right. build a sh- space shuttle. Exactly. You, you know, it's exactly. exactly the same thing. And I think people lose sight of that. But that's a perfect example in Life of the Critic. Yeah. And Roosevelt's um, quote by the, about the man in the arena, that it's yeah. always easier to comment and, and, and critique from the sideline, but I'd rather be the, the warrior and uh, the, mm. in the arena that's faces marred with blood and gore who actually would rather fail graciously than and right. live a life of challenge and, and and trying than not a life of anything at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Chris, we you know, we have a few minutes left and I wanted to touch on if you're willing to talk about it, um, what's next? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many projects out there, like three projects that I've mapped out right through until 2031. One of them I've been working on for five years already, which is called Ocean 17 Project, which is from 2029 to 
3031, and then there's the one, the sailing one that goes just around the world and sets a couple of records and does a whole lot of stuff for building schools and classroom sessions and um, planting forests in multiple different places. And then there's the project that I'm working on now for next year, which is it'll start next year. When I say it starts, I'll get the craft and we'll start changing the craft completely to to do something that hasn't been done before, mm. um, which I've been researching for a long time. I've been working on that for about three years. I shelved it about a year ago because I, I couldn't find an unlock to be able to find a safety um, safety measure that I was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about six months ago, I was, woke up and I was just came up with, like I, I realized one of the unlocks to the tools of what I, that I'd learned from doing the Trans-Pacific that I realized I could apply to the next project and that gave me a level of safety that I feel I can move forward with that. So okay. I'll be moving forward with that. It'll be a sailing project. It'll be a semi-foiling project. Um, and it'll probably, it'll be short-ish, which is about sort of two to three weeks. But the amount of, like dramatic amount of um, exposure to the elements mm. is like no other project that I've done. And I've figured out that as long as I can keep the ele- the exposure from the elements under three weeks, I'll be able to survive. And um, I've built, I've figured out a way to be able to build build a little mobile semi-pod, like semi-bivy thing that I can get out of mm-hmm. the elements. Um, mm-hmm. And that one will also be a test, a test pilot for the, the bigger the project, project for the following year to be able to test out the Q&A sessions that I'm going to be able to do live and also build the, the classrooms and the schools to get in, them involved in that project and to be able to then build on that for the next following year. So everything's just mm. a stepping stone. And that one's actually, you know, we, we spoke about in the beginning of the this um, podcast about like the film, the last film trying to tie into like making it all about, I was trying to make my dad proud mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for this stuff. And um, I don't really don't believe the last two projects were anything to do with that. I mm-hmm. really believe that I've moved through that space. But this project that I'm going to be doing, one of the things will be for mental health um, that we'll be raising money and awareness for, which I think is really important because I've had a couple of people that have died through mm-hmm. mental health challenges, and I think it's good to highlight that stuff mm-hmm. and that you, we all need to be authentic and real and vulnerable and talk about our problems and mm-hmm. talk about the challenges we're going through because I think a lot of people don't. And then also, um, it's a sailing project on a catamaran, and I've been, I used to sail with my dad on cats since I was like, four years old Mm. when he built the first ever catamaran in South Africa. So Mm. this one will actually probably be a little bit of a give back to him Mm -hmm. and uh, a celebration of, of a very unique um, and special bond that I had with him through that one medium, which I've never done before. And I think I'm I'm really looking forward to that because I think that'll be really special. It sounds it. Yeah, it sounds it. So in the couple of minutes left, I mean, I just, you know, I, of course, I want to touch on the fact that everything you do revolves around spending time immersed in the ocean um, and how passionate you are about that. And a lot of your givebacks, I, I, you said them the other night at, at the film, like you have four layers of giveback that you always include in your projects. Can you just go over those four layers again? Yeah, so sort of five layers. like inspiration, okay. education, conservation, sustainability, and humanitarian. So mm-hmm. everything has to tie into that. So it's basically giving back to people, people, education, um, ocean and planet, and then um, inspiring people through the stories that I do to be a better version of themselves and show up every day with courage and the courage to try and have their own adventure and, and know that if you if you if you're going through difficult and challenging times just don't focus on the overwhelming challenges just focus on what's in front of you and take it one stroke at a time one day mm. at a time one minute at a time for as long as it takes and you'll you'll eventually get there and the only time you won't is when you give up and stop trying so make sure you never give up and stay focused resilient and have a purpose greater than yourself and if you can do that you can get through anything even the seemingly impossible I'm sure you've heard that somewhere before Chris, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I mean, we could sit in this podcast room all day and just Mm -hmm. keep going, but we'll keep it to an hour for today. Um, But I look forward to having you back on the podcast whenever you're ready. And, um, you know, is there, how do people follow you? Where do they go to find out about what Chris Burdish is doing? Um, Great question. So, like normal Instagram, Chris Burdish. 
um, just all underscore. Um, mm -hmm. Same with um, Facebook, and then there's Chris Burdish Impossible on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, all um, just Chris Burdish, and then my website, chrisburdish.com, C H R I S B E R T I S H.com, and then the Chris Burdish Foundation, which is just chrisburdishfoundation.org. And that's why I do a lot of the give back for schools and what have you. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I make my living from speaking to audiences all over the world. And that's what I do for a living. And I've spoken to big companies like Cisco and, mm -hmm. and NASA and Google and um, all the big companies. And that's what I do for a living. So I speak to big audiences about transcending fear, overcoming challenge, change um, and achieving impossible goals and teamwork. And what, what, it hap what happens when you add that to purpose-driven um, motivated um, goals. Hmm. Well, there is nobody else quite on this planet like you. And, um, you know, it's been a gift having you here in Montauk. And we look forward to having you back uh, next year on the mm -hmm. newly efficient book <laughs> tour roadshow. Chris's motivational talks are something that fit into any category. I mean, we heard him the other night here. And whether you're an ocean-faring person or uh, corporate CEOs or, or just, you know, a, a young mother who wants to get a powerful message to their children, um, Chris's talks are really something to experience. Um, I can't thank you enough for that. Um, so thank you again for being with us here on our On Water podcast. Any final thoughts before we sign off? No, Evelyn, thanks very much. And I think um, when it comes to the, um, the podcast, I think everything is about just adding water. And I think when you just add water, the, the world becomes a better place. You become mm. a better human being and it um, hopefully leaves you a better better not only for yourself, for others in the world around you. So I think it's something we really need to be mindful, get outdoors in nature, um, just add water, um, get out in rivers and nature, experience it. It really does help you become a better version of yourself um, and show up in life better for yourself, for your community and your family and friends. And I think we need to be better at all, learning to respect it and protect it mm -hmm. and give back whenever we can. So. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thanks very much for having me here, Evelyn. You've been um, an instrument for success in getting me here to be able to help um, spread powerful stories and, and hopefully being a positive um, influence to the community and, and um, the world around us. And keep up the great work you guys do on the podcast and through the Session magazine that you guys do such a great job at. Thanks, Chris. Can't wait until the next time we sit down to chat like this. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of On Water. We certainly love bringing the myriad and diverse group of characters from our water community to you to share their experiences. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. This podcast grows out of the publication of our quarterly print magazine, Session. Session celebrates the ways in which we all, as water lovers, engage in our world's aquatic playgrounds, from surfing to foiling, kiting, stand-up paddling, and more. We encourage you to visit our website at www.session-magazine.com. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.